On the show today, we're going to talk about history being made and good history for a change. We will also discuss Pope Francis, Andy Stanley, and America's largest harvest field. We have a great show today, so let's get to it. Welcome in on this historic day. Uh, this is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we are grateful that you're joining us. If you're new here, um, we like to get it out up front and early. We are very religious. This show is very religious, very Christian. Uh, it's the world and more and more this nation that is religionless, more and more secular and worldly. So that in part is where the name comes from. Um, but we're going to try to do today what we do every Saturday, and that's look at the news of the week, stories from around the country and around the world, and try to look at them from a Christian worldview perspective, try to make sense of it um, for Christians. And I think we got some good stories to discuss today. But before we get into all the stories and all the discussion, um, is there anything you'd like to say? Prayer request, praise reports, anything of that sort? Um. Yeah, pray for Spencer's aunt. She had a little accident. Um, thankfully, she's not hurt too bad. Um, so just pray for her healing. Her legs got hurt um, in an accident, but I don't think they're broken. Um, just bruised up. Um, so let's praise God for that. But yeah, just pray that she's heals up quickly. <laughs> yes, please pray for that. And... Um... Otherwise, just praise God because life is good. Things are good. Oh, uh, maybe pray for uh, this Saturday um, or today. Uh, we are starting our sort of garage Bible reading. Today's the first day for it. And, um, you know, we've kind of put out some messages on Facebook or whatever. If you guys would like to join, um, I'll try to remember to put a link um, or just come to our Facebook page. It's not going to be anything overly um, dramatic, just kind of a way, you know, we have a lot of people walking by our house, um, stuff like that. So we just want to have a way to, you know, read the Bible, listen to some hymns, and um, share a short fellowship time. 20 minutes, 30 minutes is all we're shooting for. So uh, pray that that would be, you know, worthwhile. People would come by and uh, it'd be a blessing to us. Uh, we need more scripture being read in the communities, just God's word being put out there. So that's kind of the goal of that. We're going to try to keep it going on Saturdays and just see what happens with it. So pray for us there. That would be um, much appreciated. So before we dive into our stories, we'll go ahead and get our plugs out of the way here. And uh, first up, we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. It's a great place to go and find 50 to 60 good Christian podcasts um, on a whole host of different topics. Um, one I wanted to highlight here was Apologetics Live. Andrew Rappaport, he, among the other podcasts he has, he does this Apologetics Live show. And I wanted to highlight this one, the Apologetic for Cessationism. Um, not necessarily just because we're cessationists, but it's kind of been in the news recently. I've seen a lot of discussion on X, 
about cessationism and is it biblical and these sorts of things. And, and cessationism doesn't mean God doesn't do miracles. Right. It doesn't and mean God doesn't answer your prayers for healing and Yeah, it's not such. that the Holy Spirit's not active and all that sort of right. stuff. But I'm bringing it up because whatever side of the uh, theological aisle you're on, you're a continua uh, continuationist, cessationist, um, doesn't hurt to go and hear the other arguments, see if they're valid or not. Um, so this is just one on cessationism. I don't know if he's having a discussion with a continuationist. So I will be honest, I haven't watched the episode. I literally just saw it this morning and I thought, huh, that's a good, uh, good one to listen to if you're into that sort of thing. So um, that's that. If you're not into that sort of thing, again, 50 to 60 good Christian podcast on a whole host of different topics. Um, and then the next one I wanted to point out was this uh, article I read here. Christianity is the world's most persecuted religion. And in this article, it talks about roughly 5,600 Christians were murdered, more than 6,000 detained, 4,000 were kidnapped, um, 5,000 <clears throat> churches or facilities were destroyed. And this was as of 2022. Uh, yeah, in the last year. So I bring that up to bring up, um, you guys know we love Team Cardinal, Cardinal Contingency Solutions, and I bring it up to highlight their travel risk management. You know, we bring it up almost every week. Uh, it's a dangerous world out there for Christians, but that doesn't mean we should shrink back from it or, um, you know, shrink back from our command from the Lord to go and make disciples of all nations. We should just be smart about it because <laughs> it's dangerous out there. So get yourself prepared. Get your team prepared. Cardinal can help you do that. They're the best in the world at um, getting you prepared, letting you know the risks that are out there, but also the assets that are out there for you and how you can keep you and your team safe. So we'll have links to Cardinal down in the show notes. Consider reaching out to them. And then lastly, if you want to help our show, which we want you to help our show, uh, the easiest way to do that is just whatever platform you're on, drop a like, subscribe to the show if your platform offers you that, YouTube, you know, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it happens to be, follow, subscribe, whatever it says, and consider leaving a review, leaving a comment, th those sorts of things help um, other people find the show. We'd certainly appreciate that. And then also, um, maybe if you're in the mood to go shopping, I guess Amazon Prime days are just coming up here pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, we have Amazon affiliate links down in the show notes. You use that to buy whatever you want on Prime Day, and it helps us get a small percentage, and we would certainly be grateful for that. We got the Patreon site down there, buy me a coffee, all that sort of stuff. So consider that if you would. With all that being said, all that getting out of getting out of the way, let's uh, go ahead and jump into our history-making news. So we are going to start with some music, but it's not going to be the horror music this time. It's going to be good, happy music because we finally have some good news. Uh, not finally, we have good news occasionally, but this is good news. So do you want to go ahead and read the headline here, and then we'll get into our article. Kevin McCarthy ousted as U.S. House Speaker by hard-right Republicans. Woo! <laughs> uh, do you want to just read these first couple paragraphs? Um, after leading a successful bipartisan effort to avoid 
a government shutdown over the weekend. Kevin McCarthy on Tuesday was abruptly removed from his role as U.S. House Speaker, ousted by hard-right members of his own Republican Party less than a year after his election. The ousting of McCarthy represented the first time in U.S. history that a Speaker of the House has been removed from office, marking an ignominious... Did I say that right? Did I say that right? <laughs> That's the way I read it. Oh, okay. Uh, ignominious end to a short and fraught ten- tenure of the California Republican. It comes as Americans' approval ratings of Congress and the federal government remain near historic lows, with the majority saying they have little or no confidence in the future of the U.S. political system. Yep, this is absolutely huge news, Um, historic news, if you will, from those blasted hard writers over there, Austin, (laughs) Kevin McCarthy. But as this article stated, this is the first time in American history that a speaker has been removed from office, which is shocking, Mm -hmm. um, especially considering our disdain for Congress is not anything new in America. It's been low for some time, but uh, just pointing out, in addition to Matt Gates, who you know they kind of dub as the head of this, uh, you know, ousting of Kevin McCarthy, uh, the other seven who I would consider patriots that voted in favor. Um, it was Andy Biggs of Arizona, Ken Buck of Ohio, Tim Bur- Burchett of Tennessee. Eli Crane of Arizona, Bob Good of Virginia, Nancy Mace of South Carolina, and Matt Rosendell of Montana. So those eight um, made history. And what it made me want to know is, where were the others? You know, Kevin McCarthy, it was almost historic in his election to speaker. What was it? 12 different votes had to be cast Uh, which hadn't been done in many, many years to actually get him elected. And there were many more than eight that put up a fight against electing him. You know, they made sure they got certain concessions and all this sort of stuff. And um, yet none of them were there to be found when this vote was cast. So, you know, where were all these other people? Where was your congressman? Where was our congressman, right? Um, Voting to oust Kevin McCarthy. Now, you know, my assumption is they were probably off talking about doing something rather than actually doing something because there's yeah. almost nothing Republicans like to do more than talking about solving problems while not actually solving problems, um, which is, again, is why we're in the position we're in. Um, let's see. I had another paragraph here. Do you want to read this piece? Um, The vote to oust McCarthy followed a motion to vacate the chair from the Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gaetz after McCarthy's Republican allies failed to block the motion from from moving forward. A final vote was held on Tuesday afternoon. Amid gasps from members in the tense chamber, eight hard right Republicans joined 208 Democrats in supporting McCarthy's removal as 210 Republicans tried and failed to keep the speaker in place. I love it. Amid gasps. (laughs) How dare you? Oh, my. Like, oh, my goodness. These people in Congress. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, That's pretty funny, though. Amid gasps. But, um, so, yeah, again, like they said, Matt Gaetz, um, 
you know, he sort of made the motion. So I guess he's kind of dubbed as, mm. you know, the one leading the charge there. And, you know, I didn't listen or watch, you know, we don't watch the news here uh, in this household because um, we're a godly household. We don't watch that trash, right? Um, we don't allow our kids to watch horror movies in the mainstream news. That's the, <laughs> it's the same class there. But, um, so we didn't watch or listen to any of the sort of reaction. Um, but from looking it up and kind of reading what people were saying and just hearing about it, it's exactly what you would expect from sort of our elite class in this nation, the media elites, the political elites. Uh, so I just pulled up a couple of the um, responses here. This one's from Carl Rove. Carl Rove, kind of a Republican talking head. He said, you know, his article here in the Wall Street uh, Journal, give Matt Gates the silent treatment. He helped Democrats remove Kevin McCarthy because he wanted attention. The GOP should give him none. And then oh, I didn't sign in here. But uh, this article, he does also go on down here. And Carl Rove says, Matt Gates and the rest of his gang are parasites. They're parasites. And Newt Gingrich, former Speaker of the House there, he dubbed Gates an anti-Republican. And he called him actively destructive to the conservative movement. This isn't even... Like, it just is just upsetting when they just make it about Republican Democrat because that's all people pay attention to. So they're just speaking to the people who don't really pay attention to what's really going on. Right. And you'll see a theme here. And especially if you go and look into this on your own or if you watch anything, all of the complaints, like Nikki said, are about like Republican versus Democrat. It's about Republicans winning. They need to win not fix anything, not solve anything, not yeah. get anything done. It's just win, 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 and do nothing with it, right? Um, it's, you know, destructive to the conservative movement. It's just like it's, you want your team to win, but um, how does that affect you? How does that really affect your life? It's just like people look at it like it's a sports team or something. Republican yeah. won or Democrat won. Like it's just to say they won. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> there's nothing more destructive to the conservative movement than literally doing nothing as the country burns to the ground around us. Oh, but we got to win. We got our guy in the White House. Who cares? He didn't do anything, right? Like, so, yeah. I don't know. I think it just gets a lot of people um, in Congress and just, I think they're going to start, oh, people are getting fired now. Um, I don't know, making them scared. <laughs> they're actually so. doing stuff. <laughs> they ought to be terrified of us. These congressmen should be terrified of us, terrified of upsetting us. Um, it's funny. We're going to play a clip here a little bit from Tim Scott, and he's being interviewed by Hugh Hewitt. And Hugh Hewitt points out in there that he ran his own poll for his audience or whatever and got hundreds of votes. And he's like 80, almost, I think he says 79 or 80% of those who voted were happy with Kevin McCarthy's ouster. And yet you're going to see a theme that all of these elite class conservative Republicans, um, all of them are against it. Their constituents love it, but all of the elite class who only want to win because it probably fattens their wallet, they're against it. So again, they're not mm -hmm. for the people. Um, so again, here's Newt Gingrich, right? 
Hmm. He's destructive to the conservative movement, and he urges Republicans to vote to expel Matt Gates from the House Republican co- uh, <laughs> conference. So how dare Matt Gates remove Kevin McCarthy? But let's all rally to remove Matt Gates. There's no hypocrisy there. Nah, nah, nah. So much hate toward the people who actually do something right. And, people and, hate people. And your own team hating you at that. Yeah. Shocking. Um, but it wasn't just Newt Gingrich, Mark Levin, you know, one of the <clears throat> big, you know, supposedly conservative voices out there on the radio. He said, Gates is a POS. We know what that means. A piece of poo, if you will. He's a POS demagogue who repeatedly lied during the House floor debate yesterday. And yes, he's the only congressman and politician to ever do such. And he goes on and says, and then, of course, simultaneously was fundraising and collecting email lists on behalf of the people. Levin wrote on social media, he insisted that the House failed to bring up 12 separate appropriation bills. The fact is they could not get them out of committee because Democrats wanted to spend a great deal more, which would have blown up the budget further. We're $32 trillion in debt. Uh, Anyways, and conservatives opposed the bill. It had nothing to do with a refusal by McCarthy to oppose regular order. So again, here's Mark Levin, supposedly some great fighter on the right, who he did the same thing when they were... um, holding McCarthy to account during the speaker election. Mark Levin was trashing all of these conservatives that actually wanted to get concessions. And now here he is again, right, as we pass another continuing resolution, sink the nation further into debt, do nothing to combat it. Here's him saying, hey, those guys who actually stood up and demanded change, they're the real traitors. So uh, there's Mark Levin, the great conservative warrior, Um, We also have Mitch McConnell, Mitch McConnell, the Senate minority leader. He says, um, let me find it down here. I hope whoever the next speaker is gets rid of the motion to vacate. I think it makes the speaker's job impossible. And the the American people expect us to have a functioning government. (laughs) And truth be told, Mitch McConnell isn't wrong there. We do expect the government to function properly, which is why McCarthy was removed. But here's Mitch McConnell, a man of the people, right? Elected, been in Congress since dinosaurs were on the earth. And he says, you know what we should do? Just get rid of the actual possibility to make any change. Let's just get rid of the motion to vacate the speaker because those wily congressmen should not have the right to you know, push back on us elites and leaders here. Uh, so, yeah, wow. ridiculous. And I looked up, you know, <clears throat> Chip Roy. He's kind of positioned himself and is one of the you know supposedly good congressmen out there. One of the real freedom fighters, supposedly. Um, and I heard him or looked up what he said in uh, his response to Kevin McCarthy being ousted was. I do not believe that you pull the coach at the beginning of the fourth quarter, which is where we currently stand. He said, some of our brothers and sisters, particularly particularly in the, you know, MAGA camp, I think, particularly enjoy the circular firing squad, um, Roy said, before 
rebuffing critics who referred to him as a Republican in name only. He said, you want to come at me and call me a rhino? You can kiss my rear end. So this is sort of Chip Roy is the perfect encapsulation of the so-called or, you know, kind of the the talk tough but do nothing Republicans, which our Congress has been filled with for my entire lifetime. Um, you know, and it probably exists on, although, because the Democrats don't seem to have this problem. They sort of just hard charge straightforward, making change, dramatic sweeping change. And Republicans, they like to just talk a lot about all these drastic things they're going to do, and then they never do anything. You know, so as Chip Roy said, we might be in the fourth quarter, but we're in the fourth quarter on a team that's 0-16, and we're getting, you know, beaten to death on the field by 50 points. You still shouldn't pull the coach. <laughs> we're losing in a landslide, and we're perpetual losers. Uh, but don't you don't want to make too sweeping of a change there. I mean, you don't want to rock the boat too hard. Um these are the great conservatives in the conservative movement. All of those freedom fighters like Chip Roy and this Mark is what Levin. The people want. It's ridiculous. Why doesn't anybody care what the people want, what the people say? Like they're supposed to represent us and they're just They're supposed to, but it's the mindset of they know better. You know. Yeah, people are like that with with everything. A lot of people are like, "Oh, there's people smarter than me." Right. You guys out there yeah. in the cheap seats, you don't really understand what's going You don't really understand that as we pass another continuing resolution that adds trillions of dollars to the debt, we don't cut spending from anything. You don't really understand how we're benefiting this nation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's an elitist mindset. And maybe they don't go to Washington with an elitist mindset, but it seems that they all get one nearly as soon as they get there. Um, do you want to read, I got this one last paragraph, I think here from this article, if you want to read that, let me see if I can find it and pull it up. Yeah, here it is. Do you want to read that? Gates had been motivated by a personal vendetta against him related to the congressional ethics inquiry into his behavior, including allegations of sexual misconduct, illicit drug use and misuse of campaign funds, McCarthy told reporters. He said the Florida congressman was not a true conservative and that his goal had been to attract attention and campaign donations. Yep. So this is what you're going to hear. Um, all the attacks on Matt Gates, and probably going to be coming for the other seven as well. You could just see the pettiness in everybody. You see, I don't know, it just looks, seems like a just a childish argument. To it say, oh, you just want attention, like just, I don't know, attacking the person's motives and making it a personal thing. It is ridiculous. Like, this is the response. Hey, you guys just passed another continuing resolution that adds trillions of dollars to the debt. Matt Gates did drugs. Like, I know. <laughs> all right. Uh, what about the bill you just signed? Uh, he just wants attention. Like, it's childish. Yeah. But again, this is nothing new. Um, the mainstream media, political class, like they've been, you know, doing the same thing. I mean, as long as I can remember, it made me think kind of the first time I really remember it. Um, 
<clears throat> or really thought much about it was, you know, back when Barack Obama was president, um, back in the White House with Herman Cain. I remember that. Herman Cain, like, good, honest man, good businessman. I remember really liking him for president. And then somehow it came out like all these sexual assault allegations. You're like, Herman Cain? Are you kidding me? And of course, it turned into nothing, you know. That's just their go-to accusation. Oh, it is. They do it to everyone, right? Clarence Thomas, they did it to Herman Cain. You remember Roy Moore, the guy in Alabama running, I think, for Senate or governor or whatever. They did it to Donald Trump. And now here, Matt Gates, right? Uh, it's the same old tactic because it's proven successful. Herman Cain, you know, was gaining traction. Throw a couple of allegations out there, ruin his campaign. Doesn't matter if they're true or not, um, because in the social media age, you're, you know, the allegation is really all that matters. You know, you throw the allegation out there, you become guilty by public opinion, and, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's legally true. So I don't know if Matt Gates is guilty in any of this sort of stuff legally, like in reality, um, but whether he is or isn't, that's not the point. The point is throw that allegation out there. It gets in people's minds. It's on their X feed or whatever happens to be. And in many respects, that's all it takes, right? The point gets made and then nobody really follows up to see what actually comes with these things legally. I mean, there's still people out there trying to pound the Russia collusion hoax and all this sort of nonsense because they did the same thing to Donald Trump, right? So I don't know if it's true or not, but it is childish and it just mm -hmm. tries to distract from the real reasons why Kevin McCarthy was outed. So uh, on the issue here of Kevin McCarthy getting ousted, this historic event, I absolutely love it. I love, love, love it. And I'm very proud of these eight congressmen, you know, for having the courage to actually stand up and fight and do something dramatic for a time that calls for dramatic action. You know, I'm proud of Matt Gates. We actually um, had the opportunity and looking back in hindsight, the wonderful opportunity of voting for Matt Gates. When we lived in Florida, he was our congressman in the district we lived in, got the chance to vote for him. And I'm proud of that vote. It's not very often you get to have <laughs> a politician who does something that makes you proud. So I'm proud of having the chance to vote for Matt Gates. And, you know, he did something, again, whether it works or not, whether ultimately it was right or wrong, or maybe there was a better option, he's at least fighting for some sort of real change on the political landscape in America, whereas everyone else, the Mark Levins, the Chip Roys, is just, you know, steady, like, don't do anything crazy. We're in the fourth quarter here. Yeah, the country's burning to the ground. Eh, you know, don't do anything wild. Let's just... Let's do nothing, you know, let's just continue as we've always gone. So I'm glad to see somebody shake things up. So all of the the candidates that you were quoting, like their reaction to it, you think any of them, if they weren't running right now, would say something different? Oh, of course. Well, yeah. I mean, do you certainly. think some of them would? I Like which ones are being honest and which ones are just trying to, I don't know keep up? I mean, I think most of them would, you know, because I mean, and we're going to get into this when we talk a little bit about the second Republican debate. 
all of them make the claim that they're these huge change agents. This is why we elect them, right? This is why we elected Chip Roy or whoever is, I think he's a congressman in Texas. It's the reason why they elect him because he promises to go in and fight and, you know, cut the budget and do all these sort of drastic things. They all make the same claim mm. to run and get the vote. That's why. The problem yeah. is once they're there and they realize what it actually takes to, you know, because in order to actually, you know, and this is kind of maybe the insidious nature of our politics, you know, to actually get in a position to actually make a change in Washington, you actually have to capitulate on a whole host of different things because it's the Kevin McCarthy's of the world and the Mitch McConnell's of the world that actually hold all the monetary strings. They hold all the, you know, committee assignments and all these sorts of things that you need to be on in order to affect change. So you have to go there and kiss the ring of these people in order to get on these committees. So mm. you can't really rock the boat then because then you lose your committee and now you can't affect. So it's like, I have no doubt that these people have good intentions when they run and they really want to make change. But once you get there, you realize you have to play the game and then you just become a part of the game almost, it seems. And then you're there and the whole, your whole, I guess, mindset shifts from trying to go and make change to trying to stay in office. Um, I don't know. The job in Washington must be so sweet. Because everybody seems to be willing to sell their soul to stay there until they get drug off on a gurney, dead, like Diane Feinstein, right? 90 years old, still holding on to her Senate seat, willing to die in the chair. You know, that job must be <laughs> sweet. I don't know. But yeah, I'm sure if they weren't running or if... I mean, I guess it depends on where they are, right? If, you know, because I think so many of these people, like the Newt Gingriches now, the Carl Roves and Mark Levins, they make a lot of their money by not having things get solved, right? Because it's good business to rail against the Democrats and look at what they're doing. They're ruining the country. We re really need to go in there and change. Their job is just to point fingers. It's to point fingers because yeah. if things actually change, I mean, what are they going to argue about? What are they going to, you know, get you all worked up emotionally about so that you can support them? You know, if things actually got better in this nation, there's a whole lot less to talk about, right? The whole right. old adage of the news media is if it bleeds, it leads. Well, it's kind of the same thing in politics. If it's awful, if it's, you know, things are falling apart, well, then these talking heads have a reason to stir you up emotionally and get you... Nobody wants, hey, look, we got a budget that slashed $2 trillion and, you know, we just won the war and wherever and, you know, racial divisions are, e racial tensions are easing in the nation and faith is booming. None of that stuff really sells the way fear does. So we need something to celebrate. That's good. Yeah. Like, Read your Bible and celebrate God. <laughs> but, you know. So is this going to make things better or worse, what Matt Gates did in kicking Kevin McCarthy out of the seat? I mean, we don't know, right? Sitting here today, we don't know if it's going to make it better or worse. Time is going to tell as we see um, things sort of play out. But the thing is, as we stand here today, the system is completely broken, right? As Chip Roy was making the case there, we're in the fourth quarter, yet we're on the 0-17 Detroit Lions, 
We're losing by 50 in the fourth quarter. <laughs> Who cares if we make a change? What are you going to do? Make a change and we go 0 and 17 again next year? Like, what's the big scare of kicking Kevin McCarthy out? Are we going to pass a budget that gets us further into debt? Oh, darn. Like, now we're $33 trillion in debt instead of 32. Who cares? But there's a chance that it fixes things. You know, mm-hmm. as we sit here today recording this, right, partisan divides in this nation are at an all-time high. Again, we're $32, 33000000000000 trillion in debt and adding more debt every single day. Uh, we have no path forward to correct that in this nation. No desire, it seems, to get it under control. Crime, drug use, illegal immigration, inflation is all, you know, increasing dramatically. And... We have a loss in uh, a loss of faith in God in this nation that's at an all time high, just wreaking havoc on this nation at every turn. So, what does it matter if we try, if we swing for the fences, something bold and dramatic, and it fails? Well, so what? The country's failing anyways, right? Yeah. Um, What do we have to lose? What do we have to lose? I don't get it. Um, and what's amazing too is nearly everybody on both sides of the political spectrum, like talking about us, right? We in the cheap seats, we the people, not the elite who like the status quo because they make a lot of money and they stay in their comfy, cozy offices in Washington with the status quo. But us, we the people, we all know on whatever side of the aisle you're on that the country's broken and failing. Now we have disagreements about how to fix those problems, but we all recognize the problems. Um, we all know that the country's broken. Yet, whenever somebody steps out of line or offers a bold solution like this to fix the problem, well, they get smeared, they get derided in the media, they get called crazy people, they're anti-American, all of this sort of stuff. We know something needs to change. Somebody makes a change. We go, whoa, what are you trying to do? Make a change here, like settle yeah. down. I this think is- so many want to want to say the truth and do what's right, but they're afraid. I think they're afraid of having their name portrayed that way I think in the so. public's eye. Like they care more about how they're viewed and actually making a difference. I think that's what it comes down to, really. Nobody wants their name smeared. Yeah. I mean, no one, and obviously I don't want my name smeared either, but yeah, I mean, no one wants their name smeared, you know, we're easily stirred up emotionally and stuff like that, which is why they do it to us. But I want all these people kicked out. I want the Mitch McConnell's, the Chuck Schumer's, the Nancy Pelosi's, the Kevin McCarthy's, kick them all out. I mean, many people have said it, yet we continue to do it. You're not the same people that drug us into the mess we're in aren't going to be the ones to get us out of the mess we're in. Mm-mm. We need new people, fresh ideas, um, people that aren't so beholden to lobbyists and, you know, all these mm-hmm. different special right. interest groups that they can't make a change. We need people to go in there and make changes. And, you know, we can't be afraid that, well, maybe this won't work, so we better not try it. No, try it. You know, I thought of the idea with the whole Chip Roy thing. You know, it'd be like if you had a porn addiction or something and it's ruining your marriage And you're like, well, you know, I'm going to quit looking at porn, but I need to schedule an appointment with a psychiatrist first. I need to sit down and have a couple of discussions about that. 
Uh, I ordered like seven books on overcoming addiction. Once I read those, um, then I'll start making a change. Yeah. No, fool. Throw your phone out the window and bash your computer with a hammer and then figure it out. <laughs> That's the way forward, right? Don't sit there because the big thing against Matt Gates is what's the plan? Does he have a plan? Who cares if he has a plan? That's right. The country's falling apart. Your marriage is falling apart. You can't stop looking at porn. Throw your freaking phone in the toilet, bash your computer, and then figure it out. Who cares? The plan as you sit here today is my marriage is failing and my kids are going to hate me. But I just bought a new iPhone 15. Who cares? <laughs> Throw it out yeah. the window, man. Um, so mm. drives me nuts. <laughs> but, you know, is removing Kevin McCarthy, right, going to correct the problems in this nation? We don't know. Um, but what we do know is that we need big, bold ideas. And this was that. This was, again, historic, never happened, which, again, is shocking with all the lousy politicians, all the do-nothing, make-promises-break-promises politicians, that this is the first one to be booted out of their office. I'm surprised they haven't been beaten in their offices <laughs> for all the do-nothing uh, politicians that we've had. Um. But I think one of the big problems in this nation, and I think it's an ungodly problem, is that there's no repercussions for bad decisions. And we see that in Washington all the time, but even on a lower level, right? I mean, we see it in the news every week. You go rob a store in California, no big deal, right? You know, you live a life of immorality, go and murder your child in the womb, no big deal. You do drugs, no big deal. You loot stores, you riot, assault people. None of it's a big deal anymore. And even here, right, you serve in Congress for decades. You drive this nation into a steady decline. And then up to this point, no big deal. There's no repercussion. And now someone actually gets held to account for that. And people just freak out, right? Because we're a nation that has no repercussions for bad decisions anymore. And that's ungodly. Um, it's godly to be, you know, punished for your, you know, failings and your shortcomings and your misdeeds, because that's what corrects these problems when there's no repercussions, you know, the idea that you're going to somehow, I don't know, love a thief and a murderer to where they stop loving or stop murdering and robbing. It's just not the case. It's kind of like what we're going to talk about later. I mean, the church being lukewarm and just allowing people to stay in their sin and not correcting them. Yeah, we're it's not gonna... like our nation, our political leaders like represent church leaders. They're very similar don't in that respect. Talk about sin, people don't like that. Just put in a coffee bar and they'll stop sinning and love God. Right. Keep entertaining the people and distracting them. Yeah, same thing. If we get a new light show in the sanctuary, then they'll turn from their wicked ways. Um no. Uh, they need to hear Jonathan Edwards, sinners in the hands of an angry God, to convict them of their sins. So, uh, you know, there needs to be consequences in this nation. So I, at least Nikki, I'm sure, is glad that at least eight people, only eight, <laughs> had the courage of conviction to actually hold somebody accountable. You know, and then just for us, as it pertains to Christians and viewing this situation, right? Because all these talking heads, all the elites are going to try to stir you up in fear that this 
crazy group of eight people made this dramatic, dangerous decision. Fear is one of the enemy's greatest tactics to sort of get us to be quiet Mm -hmm. or to really act outside of our faith. So don't do it. Don't let these people drive you into uh, some fearful place um, because that's an unchristian mindset to be fearful. Uh, You know, a lot of what I've seen from the media, you know, the Chip Roy's of the world, it's all fear-based, you know. So just, I guess if you fear or if you feel fear sort of welling up in you, that's a perfect time to be reminded to go to God in prayer. You know, pray that he would give us a righteous speaker of the house at the very least, you know, but don't let the media and these other self-serving politicians scare you or play on your emotions because that's a tactic of the devil. Mm -hmm. They may not think that they're being an arm of the devil by doing this, but they are in fact being a tool of the devil when they stir you up emotionally into some fear-based, you know, irrational decisions. So don't do it. Go to God in prayer and have your spirit eased. Um, in prayer. So, you know, that's the big historic news. But we mentioned last week, we wanted to discuss the second Republican debate. That's kind of what we talked about last week, we were going to discuss this week. Um, So we do want to discuss the debate. But, you know, it's funny, we sat down, um, we watched the debate took down our notes, you know, all the same things we did before, our best and worst from each candidate, over all this sort of stuff. But that was before uh, we really sat down and digested what happened to Kevin McCarthy. You know, so I thought rather than sit here and bore you with our discussions on what was really an inconsequential debate, nothing new um, under the sun there with that debate, I figured, why don't we just look at where each of these candidates stand on Kevin McCarthy being removed? Because I think their opinions on Kevin McCarthy's removal speaks more to who they are as a candidate yeah. than anything that they said on that debate stage ever could. Yeah, I agree. Because um, this is putting their feet to the fire, right? Like we said, everybody's a change agent. Everybody's going to go in there and you know flip the table on Washington and well, here's an opportunity to see where you stand on some, you know, table flipping. So I think rather than, again, bore you with all of that, you know, we'll just, yeah, look at where they stand with Kevin McCarthy. So let's go ahead and see what each of these candidates had to say. So Mike Pence was on that debate stage and they asked Mike Pence about Kevin McCarthy and he said, Well, let me say that chaos is never America's friend, and it's never a friend of American families that are struggling. And I'm deeply disappointed that a handful of Republicans would partner with all the Democrats in the House of Representatives to out the Speaker of the House. Political performance art in Washington, D.C. does little to address the issues the American people are facing. And he said... Vowing to focus on the needs and the challenges and the opportunities and the future of the American people if he is elected. So that's Mike Pence's view on Kevin McCarthy, right? So basically exactly what you would expect from someone that's been in Washington for decades and overseen the decline of America. He is not for bold action, which is interesting because when you hear him in his debates, one of the points he likes to make a lot 
is that he's going to close the Department of Education. Right. So this guy's going to go, and Mike Pence is promising you, if you just vote for Mike Pence, he's going to go and close the entire Department of Education. Yet, removing one speaker from, or one congressman from his position to Speaker of the House, that's too radical of a move. If that's chaos, he's not going to do anything. <laughs> we need things more radical than that. And if, he's, if they see this as chaos, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. This is too extreme for them. Yeah. So you can just, you know, make or extrapolate out from this with Mike Pence. All of these bold claims that he's making there, they're just false promises on the campaign trail. Uh, He's not the man of change. He's positioning himself to be. So, again, we didn't expect Mike Pence to be. Again, just like we just said before, right? The same people that drug us into the mess we're in are not going to be the people to get us out of the mess we're in. And Mike Pence has been there the whole time. Uh, Chris Christie was on that debate stage as well. So what did Chris Christie have to say on Kevin McCarthy? He said, what I saw yesterday was unfortunately incredibly predictable. When, you know, Kevin made the decision he made upon entry to the speakership, he weakened himself by capitulating on a number of issues. And this was predictable. As with most things in politics, Joe, as you know, it wasn't policy, it was personal. Matt Gates doesn't like Kevin McCarthy and was a, intent upon executing this type of assassination. <laughs> and that's what he did. It was a political assassination yesterday of Kevin McCarthy, he continued. You know, so Chris Christie here, like Chip Roy, you know, he's a guy who talks tough But when it comes time for real change, you know, kind of really fighting for America, making some bold moves, Chris Christie, like Mike Pence, is not the guy. Um, So as you would expect, right? He's not for the bold change, the big moves. So uh, I think, again, that speaks more to who Chris Christie is and what we could expect from him as president than any sort of, you know, canned campaign speech slogan whatever happens to be on a debate stage and um i couldn't i found a video from tim scott so rather than me you know writing down everything he said i figured we'll just let him say it for himself and then you guys can you know hear it straight from tim scott yeah there's no doubt that we're seeing chaos in the house and the real question is what's the benefit to the american people and the bottom line is that there is no benefit to the american people right now for us to take our eye off of the ball the ball really is closing the southern border the ball is reining in this spending that we're seeing in the capital of the ball is making sure that binomics doesn't have another day to breathe and all that focus that should be on the issues impacting the american people Presenting conservative solutions requires a a solidified base in the House of Representatives with the Republican Party acting in concert. That is a challenging proposition for us. The biggest winners of yesterday's challenge won't be the next speaker. It is the current president of the United States who's watching that mic. So I hope that we get our act together very quickly, get back to focusing on the people's business and have the kind of unity that the Republican Party will need in order for us to be successful, not just in 2024, but beyond. This nation needs conservative leadership, and we need it right now. That's one of the reasons why I'm running for president. 
Yep. So there's Tim Scott. And, you know, like the others, not a fan of the bold move there. And I think, you know, the reason, as you heard him say, is um, basically because it puts his chances to be elected president in jeopardy. Um, and really, like all Republicans in my lifetime, again, winning elections is what's important, not actually doing anything positive for America. So Tim Scott doesn't like the bold move. It makes his chances at getting elected a little rockier and therefore not in favor of it. It's like, what's wrong with other people making a difference? You, you think you're the only one who can make the changes? Like, encourage other people to, to do something. Yeah. Hey, I need that you. house of, you know, or the house of representatives and that Republican caucus in there. I need them to just be steady in declining America so that I can make sure I get elected and then we can continue doing nothing once I'm president. Like, great. There's some, you know, big change for America. Yeah. You know, boy, who, who doesn't want to miss out on that? Yeah. Uh, Nikki Haley though, was also on that debate stage. And, uh, as a woman, I'll let you read Nikki Haley's <laughs> statement here from, uh, this was on X, her response to Kevin McCarthy being removed. Uh, Democrat leadership brought us chaos, but we can't beat Democrat chaos with Republican chaos. We need a new direction, not more mess and distraction. GOP should focus on cutting debt, beating inflation, fixing the border, and defeating China no more drama. We need a strong, united front. Yep. Well, isn't that what was happening? You know, like they're working on... Yeah, they know, literally the removed him thing. from office <laughs> to cut the debt and beat inflation. Um, but again, right, same thing we see here from Nikki Haley, as we saw from Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Tim Scott. Why are they calling change chaos? Positive change is chaos. They keep using these terms. Right. And you keep in mind, that. Nikki Haley's the same one, you know, when Ron DeSantis went kind of to battle with Disney in Florida, she was the same one that came out and was like, you know, this is crazy. What you need to do is get in a room with Disney and just hash it out. Basically, do what, you know, these corrupt Republican, you know, uh, politicians forever have done. Just getting, you know, cut the people out of it. We'll get in the room together, get some backroom deal done, and then we'll just continue with business as usual. So You're trying to keep things all, like, civilized. <laughs> yeah. So this is Nikki Haley, right? Change in word only. Yeah. Um, because as you pointed out when we were talking about this, she's kind of the one who kicked off this sort of debate and campaign talking about mm -hmm. when I was the ambassador of, you know, the UN, I was firing this person, mm -hmm. kicking this person. And that's what I liked about it. I was like, oh, I like this girl. Action. She's yeah. just, she don't care. And now, so this is disappointing. I'm like, you painted this picture of yourself, but now you're not standing by that. Yep. So change in word only here. So Nikki Haley, I think, you know, and this has kind of been my thought the whole time. She's not the right person to lead um, for the times in which we live in. She doesn't understand the times in which we live in, you know maybe a more traditional kind of, again, she is a traditional, she's the classic Republican, right? Have a, you know, talk a big game, yeah. do nothing, backroom deals, all this sort of stuff. So 
Um, Doug Burgum, he was also on that debate stage, and I couldn't find anything from Doug Burgum in regards to the McCarthy ouster. Tried to search some news articles, looked on X, and didn't see anything from Doug Burgum. Not sure he addressed the issue. And maybe this is sort of a case from him of like, you know, you got nothing good to say, don't say anything at all. So maybe there's some of that. Or maybe he's just the most mm -hmm. disciplined politician on those stages. And he just decided that's not my platform. I'm not, you know, running for president on that. So I'm just going to stay out of it. Uh, so for whatever the case is, couldn't find anything on him. So I will just mention, because he didn't have a stance on this that I could find, I really liked Doug Burgum in the second debate. He got almost no questions asked to him. But when he did have the opportunity to speak, I loved his answers. Mm. I thought he sort of an outside-of-the-box thinker, had solutions, ideas of solutions and stuff. So I really liked him in the second debate. And I will just mention, you know, seeing what Matt Gates and these congressmen did gives me hope for America. So too does having Doug Burgum on that second debate stage and Asa Hutchinson not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least we, as a, you know, a voting block in this nation had enough sense to keep Doug Burgum around and get rid of Asa Hutchinson. So that's a positive sign for America. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy as well, of course, was on that debate stage. So Vivek, when he was uh, responding to Kevin McCarthy's ouster, he said, the point of removing the House Speaker was to sow chaos. That's what the critics of Matt Gates and everybody else is saying. And my advice to the people who voted to remove him is to own it. He said, admit it. There was no better plan of action of who's going to fill that Speaker role. So was the point to sow chaos? Yes, it was. But the real question to ask, to get to the bottom of it, is whether chaos is really such a bad thing. And then he goes on, I think on Twitter maybe, or X, he says, for everybody out there who's asking the question, what's the plan to get a new speaker? You're asking the wrong question. Ramaswamy said, what's the plan to actually revive this country? So, you know, unlike all of the other candidates we've talked about to this point, Vivek at least seems to not be opposed to the removal of Kevin McCarthy, and he shouldn't be, right? And I, I think it fits with his brand, the campaign that he's been running, because he's kind of been the one candidate up there that's really been trying to be a real voice of change, and one that maybe you can actually believe in. You know, Mike Pence talking about, I'm going to get rid of the Department of Education. You're like, whatever. You know, that we know that that's not true. <laughs> so at least there's some... Um, you can sort of believe Vivek here, or at least I do, um, that he's in favor of this. And I don't even disagree with him, you know, that what's the point of this is the point chaos. Sure, maybe. And if that's the only point, I'm okay with it because the status quo stinks. Um, but so this is kind of why we like Vivek so much. We've talked about that in basically every debate and discussion we've heard, heard from Vivek. We like him because he seems to be a man who's looking to make a change. So this kind of fits in with his brand. He seems to not really care if he's liked or not, I guess. Yeah. Not, yeah. Well, and, you know, because he's an outsider in a sense, right? He's not a politician. Mm -hmm. So he's able to make 
these bigger, bolder claims and at least have some bit of belief that he might actually do it, you know, because we don't know what kind of a politician he would be. He's never been a politician. Whereas, you know, when Mike Pence gets up there and goes, I'm getting rid of the Department of Education, you're like, weren't you already vice president? Why didn't you do it then? What? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, hey, uh, I have to be president first. Like, get out of here. So uh, Ron DeSantis, though, for the last one here, he was also on the debate stage. So what did he have to say about Kevin McCarthy? And uh, let me see. Oh, I didn't have it pulled up. Let me get it pulled up here real quick. Yeah, he says, um, well, it's a strong contrast to how we do business in Florida. I think you see a lot of theater, a lot of chaos. I'm not sure it ever leads to any results. Whereas in Florida, everything we do is calculated to deliver outcomes and to create a better life for the people down here. I also think just reflecting on, uh, you know, had, I'm sorry, I'm trying to read the word so it doesn't flow perfectly. I also think just reflecting on, you had like what, five or six members, Republicans, join with all these Democrats. You know, we're we were supposed to have a red wave in 2022 and that didn't happen. It happened in Florida and we delivered four additional Republicans, but that was one of the best environments to run in for Republicans probably since like the forties. And we totally muffed it. And I think he goes on and, uh, Oh, sorry. I think he goes on in here and kind of makes mention or in another place, you know, that he was against McCarthy before it was cool. I think is one of the things he says, (laughs) um, but all in all, I think a pretty weak answer here from Ron DeSantis. And I think if you're the kind of person who's looking for a reason to not like Ron DeSantis, I think this is a pretty good reason to not like Ron DeSantis, you know, um, because, again, if you're going to be a big change agent, which Ron DeSantis has been, which is why we like him so much. Well, that's good. I mean, he does get things done, but does he usually talk about... um is he just supporting other people when they're making change, or does he always reflect it back to himself and how he's better at making change? Is he just trying to like compare one good to another good and make himself shine more? Basically, yeah. Like it's not that he disagrees; he just wants to be like, "Oh, but what I did is better. This is what I do." Well, and he may disagree a little bit. I mean, because he talks in here again about uh, it's a whole lot of chaos, you know. And- Chaos is bad. But again, right, he's running for president, so everything's got to be about me. Yeah. So when I asked maybe about that's... Kevin McCarthy, it's like, well, me in Florida, this is what I did. Like, I get it. It's a campaign. Yeah. You want to keep people focused on your record, which is great. Rhonda Santos has a great record. Yeah. But where do you stand on big, bold change, man? Like, this is the most historic, you know, thing to happen in the House of uh, Representatives and, you know, forever. You know, so I think just kind of a pretty weak response on something that I would have expected Ron DeSantis to be more bold on. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think it is one of those things where they just want the spotlight on them, even if there's other good change happening. Yeah. Like, I think Vivek's answer was far better. I mean, you're addressing the actual thing being asked of you. Like, yeah, it was chaotic. But is that bad? Yeah. You know, let's. We support think about, you know, yeah, what we think is good or bad, you know, kind of a thing. So should have been a better answer from Ron DeSantis. If you don't if you don't want to like Ron, this is a good reason to not like him, in my opinion. Like what would he have done if he was 
one of those um one of those eight would he have agreed that would have been a good question to ask him because he was in congress and you know would you have voted in favor of this uh that would have been a good question to ask i think he would have I hope he would have. Um, I mean, it seems like he would have. Because he has been someone who's removed people from office, right? right? He's removed two attorneys general, I believe, or district attorneys, I'm sorry, in Florida. He removed another public servant just recently. So he has been somebody who's removed people from office before. Uh, but again, a pre- pretty weak answer. So we did want to include in here the uh, the great swamp drainer in chief donald trump he wasn't on the debate stage but he's still the front runner as far as we understand it for the republican nomination so i guess when asked about um kevin mccarthy being removed donald trump said why is it that republicans are always fighting amongst themselves why aren't they fighting the radical left democrats who are destroying our country um or no i'm sorry he wasn't asked this was something he wrote on truth social which I don't have truth social, so got this secondhand. So still that Democrat against Republican, like that's not what we're, that's not the war. That's not the. No, and we've made the point many of times on this show, the whole idea of Democrat versus Republican is sort of, that's made up. That's meant to keep us at each other's throats while the elites and the ruling class just continue on you know, as they always have. The real fight, the real battle is us versus them. We, the people versus the elites Mm -hmm. that are ruling us, you know, so trying to focus us on, oh, well, you Republican voter, you should really be fighting with your neighbor Democrat voter. No, we should both be fighting against the elites that are dragging this nation into the toilet. The focus should be if Republicans are so good, why are they doing nothing? That's the... That's the evil thing is when you have the opportunity to do good and you do nothing. Yeah. Like quit pointing the finger at the wicked one. You're just sitting there doing nothing. You're not defending. Like Spencer could, you know, someone could be breaking into our house and he could just keep saying, you're the, you know, just pointing, get everybody, get everybody's attention on the one causing harm, but you're doing nothing to protect us. You're to blame. Of course they are. And there's Your been job times, is to protect. you know, because they can sit here now and go, well, we just we only have the House. We would need the Senate and the White House to really make change. Nope, that's not true because they've had the Senate and the presidency in recent memory. And many of these same people were in Congress and the debt continued to grow. Mm-hmm. You know, all the same problems we're faced with today. They did nothing about then either. So um, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's nonsense. And that, again, is why I would say this was a pretty weak answer from Donald Trump, which I think should be expected um, because Donald Trump did help Kevin McCarthy win the speakership. He was kind of probably the strongest force pushing Kevin McCarthy to be elected speaker. So it would make sense that he would not be in favor of him being removed from that position. And I will mention that I didn't find anything necessarily specifically about Donald Trump saying this was good or this was bad. Again, he kind of mentioned, hey, why are you guys always fighting with each other? But I did find um, an article here where somebody, I guess, talks about speaking with Donald Trump and in their, I guess, sort of more private discussion, Donald Trump mentioned that he would endorse Jim Jordan as 
succeeding Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. So don't know if that's necessarily true. Time will tell, I guess. But that, you know, so I guess on Donald Trump's point of view, um, I would say, you know, he kind of gets partial credit, you know, a weak answer about, hey, quit with the infighting. But then you get some credit by going, well, I guess, you know, I'll vote for this guy over here. So partial credit for Donald Trump. But, you know, if for the great uh, swamp drainer in chief, I think he should have had a more, um, I guess, resolute answer on this than than what he gave. So one thing we, we do want to do uh, before we end here on the Republican debate piece is um, bring up my son's points of view on the second debate. You know, we had them watch the first debate and the second debate, and we both times we wanted to bring up kind of what did our kids think about the people on the stage, and then we forgot to in the first debate, which I feel like is a unjust punishment to make your kids watch presidential politics and then not actually follow through with talking about what they, you know, saw and what they heard. So we do want to just bring up a few points on what uh, at least one of my sons thought on the second Republican debate. So um, he has it listed down here. What do you think about Ron DeSantis? He put stops the <laughs> he words things kind of funny. He's got a little comments in here. Stops the CCP guys from buying land in Florida. Should do that all over the U.S. Says he's big on action for education. Got a lot done. Yep. So, so there was, you know, Ron DeSantis talked a lot about how when he was in Florida, he stopped the Chinese Communist Party from buying any land there. And uh, we would agree with our son that we should not allow them to buy any land in America. So, mm. um, but that's, you know, good there, right? He sees Ron DeSantis as a man of action, big ideas, which we do as well. Um, so that's, again, why his answer there was a bit disappointing on Kevin McCarthy. Um, for Vivek, he says, um, <laughs> he has sympathy for workers, uh, and he says, we don't need to aid Mexico to want them to stay there. It's not our job. We aid them and not the border. Wants to end citizen birthright tunnels under the border. Swiss cheese wall, LOL. <laughs> um, 16 years. Shouldn't use social media. I didn't know what that one was about, the social media one. Yeah. So that was one of the notes I brought down. I thought it was the best point brought up in the entire debate because Vivek was talking about, you know, the problems in this nation and stuff like that. And he made a point that, uh, you know, social media is an addictive substance and we should not allow children under 16 to be able to use social media. Oh. And I had a short discussion with my son about that because, you know, he has gotten a phone and recently and had some smaller social media platforms and I took them away from him. And so I looked at him during this and was like, yeah, you know, I agree with the vacuum. And he's like, well, you know, I don't know, dad, you know, maybe we should have. So he didn't really agree with Vivek there, but in my son is 15. So um, that's the age range in which the person making these comments is, is kind of coming from and um, but he really likes Vivek from both debates that we've had him watch, likes Ron DeSantis a lot. But uh, that's kind of funny there. A little pushback on the old 16 and over for social media. Maybe 18. 
You know, social media is at least as dangerous as smoking a cigarette. Rots your brain. So, all right, what else did he have to say? For Nikki Haley, he put, you need to pay for stuff in the hospital you won't even use. Wants to take that down. Wants to support more businesses in the U.S. so we don't rely on China. Wants competition in healthcare and patients having more control. Yeah, so I, you know, she talked a little bit about healthcare and you know fixing the healthcare system. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think they, from my discussions with them, they are, they don't really care one way or the other with Nikki Haley. Yeah, um, they haven't really said anything specifically about her. Okay, for Tim Scott, uh, he just says uh, he might be quoting Tim Scott. Fentanyl is the drug. Bro can really cut taxes. I don't know if this is question about it. <laughs> Anybody that has I'm a teenage reading. kid, all you hear when they're on the phone is bro, 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 bro. <laughs> I don't know how many times I've been well, like. Well, it's kind of funny. This is, it I is, mean, it's, it's good, but it's, I just wanted it. I want to read it for the humor part of right. it too. Like this is, they're thinking, they're questions. Yeah. If an illegal immigrant has a baby in the U.S., they shouldn't be a U.S. citizen. So I think that's something uh, to talk about. That is a, um, I don't know if he has an opinion on that. What do you think? No, he probably had never heard of the fact, you know, what we consider birthright citizenship, you know, where legal immigrant comes over the border, has a baby, and now somehow that baby's automatically an American citizen. And now because they're American citizen, they can bring their family across, you know, the border too. And of course, that's ridiculous. And I think Tim Scott brought up the point that, you know, the 14th Amendment is not talking about, you know, birthright citizenship and this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's mm-hmm. nonsensical. Yeah, so it's was, good to see that yeah. at least a 15-year-old can go, that doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't. So um, a 15-year-old can figure that out. Congressmen that have been there for a thousand years, they can't seem to understand it. Chris Christie, he says, government failure is to blame everyone in D.C. who isn't doing their job. Biden said he's ignoring border control. You're the president, dude. (laughs) Schools need more control from the public. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure in specific regards there. I think Chris Christie was talking about Biden here. Um, Oh, yeah, and I think think there was a point in the debate where... um, I think Christie, you know, he played his tough guy kind of act there and, you know, looked into the camera and was like, you're the president, dude, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of a thing. And um, that's probably where it came from. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Pence, uh, he quoted him saying, justice delayed is justice denied. Wants the death penalty on anyone involved in a mass shooting. Wants the federal government smaller. States have their own rights. Yep. <laughs> Whatever, it's Mike Pence. I, I don't know. Doug Burgum wants the federal government out of health care and everything else because the regulations raise prices and bring down competition. Yeah, and Doug Burgum, like we mentioned, I really like Doug Burgum. The more I watch him, the more I feel that he's actually the politician we need. Mm-hmm. Um, sad he's not going to be the politician we get, but I really like him. I know. So... And he has have? more on VR. That's all it says. Knows trans transgenderism is a mental health issue. 
hates LGBTQ in schools. Yeah, so I guess that's noteworthy there that he made a second mention to Vivek Ramaswamy. And like I said, I think our kids like Vivek, which would make sense, right? Vivek's a young man. He's charismatic. You know, whereas you got, you know, old men like Mike Pence standing on the stage, you know, you contrast the two and it's, uh, especially for a younger kid, it's very dramatic. So you just wanted to point that out there. What a younger, you know, 15 year old kid thinks of these people standing on the stage and they really seem to like Vivek. I think maybe they like a little bit of of Ron DeSantis because we lived in Florida, you know, Mm -hmm. they've heard his name more. So there's some more recognition there, which that's the number one reason people vote for anybody is name recognition. Mm-hmm. And so why would it be any different for a young yeah. kid? But um, so we just wanted to give that that kind of overview of um, what our children thought there on the second Republican debate. If you guys care to know our more in-depth thoughts as far as best and worst and overall, just let us know. Reach out. We'll respond in the comments or email us, whatever happens to be more than happy to discuss that. But um, ending on this point here with Kevin McCarthy, why is this important to Christians? And I wrestled with this as I was kind of putting this the show notes together here, as I kind of do anytime we're talking about politics, you know. But we're gonna play this clip here from um, from Matt Gates when he was on Jason Whitlock's podcast, Fearless, and after listening to his sort of 20, 30 minute interview on Fearless, I was convinced that it is. So let me just play this little 20 or 30 second clip here, and then we'll jump back into um, why this is important to Christians. Before I got into Congress was in the state legislature in Florida, where you don't have a choice on a balanced budget. You find out how much you brought in, and then you figure out what you're able to pay for based on that revenue estimate here, We've designed a system where no one is responsible for the spending. The Congress can blame the system. The president can blame the Congress. And meanwhile, I mean, we are living in a time where in 99% of American counties, the average American income will not support the purchase of a home. Like We live in a time where every month Americans are paying $700 more for the exact same goods and services that they got a year ago. And the government spending is driving that inflation. And so we can connect the pain people are feeling to the bad decisions in Washington, and we can. So that little clip there, I think this is why it's important to Christians. And I think this is why it's a biblical issue. Mm-hmm. You know, as Congressman Gates says in that interview, in 99% of counties in America, the average income can't afford a home. And he talks about $700 a month more in goods than just a few years ago. You know, the family unit is being attacked and it's being ravaged by this economy. You know, this sort of economy that the status quo, the Kevin McCarthy's of the world have given us. And, you know, it's a man's job biblically to provide and support for his family. And this is becoming increasingly difficult in America anymore, you know, So this is a Christian issue. The provider husband is being attacked, being undermined. And this here again is leading to more and more women having to leave the home for the workforce. You know, and again, this is a Christian issue. This is taking women out of their God-ordained role as homemaker and child rearer, if you will, to go work all day just to help provide for what the husband is no longer able to provide for on his own. And then 
another Christian issue, right? This then leads to sending your children off to, as again, we've heard, you know, Satan's youth camp there in public education and stuff like this. You know, you're sending your children off to these godless secular teachers and administrators to raise your children instead of the mother as God intended. So, you know, I think this is a biblical issue. I think it's a Christian issue. And I also believe that this is all intentional. You know, this sort of um, American society that we found ourselves in, you know, this kind of world economic forum type of people that are running our government, running the global governments. This is what they want from us, right? You know, these disconnected families. And I think you add into that, you know, husbands that can't provide, women in the workforce now, kids off to these public educational institutions, which is all, you know, not as it should be. And then you add on top of all of that, that we're in a society that people can't afford to live in. And that leads you into a society, a debt society. Um, everybody in this nation seems to be debt ridden. And um, debt is a sin. Debt makes you slave to the lender. And I got just a couple of verses here. Uh, let me see if I can pull it up. Psalm 37, 21. It says, or do you want to read Psalm 37, 21? The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious and gives. Yeah, so are we all wicked when we're wrapped in unending debt from the moment we're old enough to get our first credit line to the moment we drop dead. And then um, Proverbs 22, verse 7. Do you want to read that? The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Yeah, and we're supposed to be slaves of Christ, not slaves of bankers mm. um, like we are today. So, you know, debt's a sin. The family unit, as God ordained, is being, you know, undermined. So I think it's important, and I think it's a Christian issue. I think it's a biblical issue. Um, the family unit's under attack. It's under assault. And again, I believe that it's purposeful. I think it's being done on purpose. And again, they're also making us slaves to godless lenders, which we should not be. Again, it's yeah. a sin. Do they, I mean, they rake in more money, Um through taxes when they have both both parents working and and then with the college debt i mean they pay interest i don't know does anything like that go to them with it all goes to them everything. because every almost they all are, loans are federally backed the goal is to make everybody every single person um bringing in money um so your children i mean I mean, there's no, in, I don't think there's anything wrong with telling your daughters it's okay if you don't go to college, um, find a godly man. And it's hard because, like you said, one person's income, you can not even afford a house. So it's like, I don't know, like teaching your children to live debt-free, um, we got to teach them how to get out of that cycle of debt, to not even get into it in the first place. So pushing your children to go into debt, go into college, what are all, 
what are alternatives we can be teaching them? Not just say, don't do this, but what can you do in place of this to not be so burdened? Like teaching them, I mean, every a lot of people mean homesteading is like a big thing now. Being, yeah. We want to just get away from dependency on just the, the culture, the way we do life and just people just want to be able to be self-sufficient. Um, yeah, but it's not easy. And it isn't I think easy. It takes an intentional mindset. It, um, it does. Raising your children, talking to them about this, and really planning, you know, far in advance so that it doesn't just sneak up on you and, oh, you're 18 and I guess you got to go to college. You know, I don't, sure, take out a school loan, you know. And yeah, but um, what's wrong with like families sharing a home, like the push to get kids out of the house? All right, now you go on your own and, and struggle. Yeah, it's a silly mindset. Talked about like, yeah, have a house where I don't know, like people get property and everybody share the property and everybody have their own house that's and be content with it. Everybody wants the bigger homes. They want the pool. You can't have all that been, and be free and not have the burden of debt. Like, something we've been talking about with our kids, or at least our girls, is that you know they're going to live with us until they're married, and then they'll move in with their husbands. That's the plan. That's what they're going to do. Yeah. I mean, so, if they want to go off to school and learn, I mean, no, I don't, don't know. go to school somewhere close by. <laughs> yeah. They don't need live to. With us. Yeah. I don't think them going off but and again, I think living it's in, somewhere else with the, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's intentional um, to get us into this trap, you know, uh, especially the debt piece, but then it all builds on itself. Right. Like why Getting do we all have to have this cookie cutter, you know, our life planned for us. Like, this is the American way. It's like, no, I don't have to follow that. I can go a totally different route and I can be content. But the thing is, is it's hard to be content when you're surrounded. Everything, billboards and ads, like it's all in your face that you're lacking and you need this to be happy. That temptation's always going to be there. So we have to pray to not love the things of the world that are going to cause us to go to go into debt and put burdens over ourselves and we got to see the blessing of owning less um like we want to own things we don't want to obviously the slogan you'll own nothing and be happy that's right. not what i'm talking about <laughs> we don't want to eat bugs um. <laughs> no it is it is something we need to be learning to be more content um, and get out of the rat race that is the American life, uh, at least as it's currently constructed, because it's mm-hmm. it's not a good way of life. Yeah, being um, busy is Christian family. praised. Um, yeah, it is. There's just so much to talk about what's wrong with our culture's way of thinking. Um, being a, um, having a side job, your side hustle and all that, that stuff's like, the thing to do now. Like mom's got to have a side hustle. Like it's not enough to just you better make that money. I'm overwhelmed just trying to be a homemaker, like really doing it well, getting up early, staying up late, like just making sure your family is fed. Like when I made that sourdough bread the other day, I was like, this took all day. Um, I can't make bread every day if I'm going to make sourdough bread. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, but what should we do about it, right? What should Christians do about this? You know, as far as the Kevin McCarthy kind of thing that we're talking about here. And I think we should support this. 
you know, and I get that depending on the political aisle, what, you know, whatever side of the aisle you're on there, you know, this might be difficult, but I mean, geez, like our system is broken and we, the people are the ones suffering, you know, the Mm -hmm. rich keep getting richer, the powerful keep getting more power and we, the people just suffer more and more. So I think we should support it. We don't know the way it's going to shake out, but we shouldn't be fearful of it because the system's broken. Um, And how should we pray about it? Because Christians should be praying about everything. You know, I think first we should pray that God would install leaders that seek to do what's good for us, you know, we the people, rather than what serves them, you know, serves themselves or Mm -hmm. whoever, you know, is lobbying them in Washington. And I think we should pray also that we would get a leader that understands the importance of family, and yeah. the dangers of debt, and mm-hmm. really has a faith in God. I think we should be praying for that. So uh, do you have any final thoughts here on Kevin McCarthy, the second Republican debate, or any of that sort of stuff before we roll into a couple of extra, more Christian-specific stories that we want to end the show on? No, let's go ahead. Okay. so. Uh, before we we have kind of one mate, you know, main kind of final story here, but I saw two stories that I just wanted to briefly touch on because, you know, they're interesting. And uh, I think they're, again, more Christian specific, if you will. And the first one, you want to read this headline here? What Pope Francis's statement about possible blessings for same-sex couples could mean. And then just these first three paragraphs. A response letter to five consecutive cardinals who were asking Pope Francis to clarify whether blessings of same-sex unions are permitted went public on Monday, signaling a slight shift in the Catholic Church's previous stance on LGBTQ plus unions. We cannot be judges who only deny, push back, and exclude, Pope Francis wrote in a letter uh, in July As such, pastoral prudence must adequately discern whether there are forms of blessing requested by one or several people that do not convey a wrong idea of a matrimony, because when one seeks a blessing, one is requesting help from God. It's a step back from a 2021 Vatican statement made by an official who Francis has since removed that said blessings of same-sex couples were not permitted. While the Pope's note denounces same-sex marriages, religious leaders say it also recognizes the possibility for change in an institution with decreasing rates of attendance and acknowledges the need to address issues of inclusion within the religion. Yeah, I thought about that. I was like, you always see those signs like trying to get people to return to the Catholic Church. Um, They're like, this is all this is. They're just trying to get more people yeah, that's what I thought when I read it. I was like, ah, the old church growth equals church success. You know, yep. the whole uh, American spirit of Christianity is even gripping the vicar of Christ, if you will. You know, the um, true church is going to stand. Um, it, it's just going to, I mean, the w- wicked people always just expose themselves. They, yeah, they just, it, we're just going to find out. I mean, we already know but you got to just, you got to know the word. People don't discern. They think love is love. Well, and that's and always the follow. interesting thing with Catholics because many Catholics today are not a big fan of Pope Francis. 
which is seems like an odd predicament to find yourself in to claim to be a Catholic and the Pope is, you know, some apostolic office and all that, but then to be like, eh, I don't really like him. You'll be like in the early church and you're like, yeah, I'm kind of out on Matthew. Not a big fan. Like he's an apostle of Christ. Yeah, not my guy. I'll take Peter. Like it's kind of a weird position to find yourself in, but you know, I highlight this because this is something we told you was coming. Um, you know, this is kind of that soft open, if you will, um, but we can expect the full open to be coming soon with LGBTQ inclusion into the Catholic Church. You know, he said a couple of interesting things just in that little section there. Um, the first one I thought was the one of the most important words to note in that, where he says, we cannot be judges who only deny, push, push back, and exclude. Uh, that's a very important word there, I think, because nothing the modern li- modern left, uh, if you will, likes less than exclusion, right? They love inclusion. And again, Pope Francis seems to be opening the door for inclusion. Again, it talks in that article that in 2021, some official made a statement that you know, they were not going to be blessing same-sex marriages, and Pope Francis removed said official. <laughs> uh, so that's instructive. And, you know, and again, talking about, well, these rates of attendance are declining, so what can we do to increase attendance? So that's important, something to keep your eye on. Um, and over the last week, sort of in honor of this story, well, starting a couple of days ago, and I'm going to continue on for a couple more days. Um, all through the month of October is sort of Reformation month. I've been just giving quotes, YouTube shorts and stuff like that on TikTok, um, different little videos of, you know, reformer quotes. And so I decided in honor of this, we'll look at what the reformers views are on the Pope, the office of the Pope. And, uh, needless to say, they did not speak softly about the Pope or the papal office there. So if you want to come listen to those quotes and hear the reformers' views, uh, come watch our YouTube shorts and our TikToks, and you'll get your fill there. But just uh, all hope is not lost, Catholics. You know, if uh, this is a bit too much for you, there's a Protestant church somewhere in your city that has what you're looking for, that adherence to the Word of God and His truth. So... Come find us and your soul will be enriched. But uh, just wanted to highlight that there. Um, heaven have mercy on the Catholic Church. So one other story that I wanted to highlight here um, was this uh, apparently Andy Stanley. And I guess what you could conclude is, you know, kind of a collection of heretics. <laughs> I guess last month it was, but I'm just hearing about it now. Apparently, they held this unconditional conference. Uh, this was, I think it held the end of September. But again, I've just seen a lot of reaction to it coming out now. And um, I do wonder if they reached out to Pope Francis to see if he would come and be a keynote speaker at this conference. Because uh, the website says that the conference is a two-day premiere event, or it was, I'm sorry, it's already happened, but for parents of LGBTQ plus children and for ministry leaders looking to discover ways to support parents and LGBTQ in their churches. So 
Maybe if Pope Francis wasn't invited this year, maybe he'll be brought in next year. Who knows? So how many people ended up coming to this if it was just for the parents? I don't know. Well, I don't think it was just for parents. It was probably for families. But they had a lot of speakers, a lot of little breakout sessions in there. Who was the... Let me see the speakers. I just want to... I don't know who these people are. Well, I I bring this story up. And again, I just wanted to highlight that this has happened... um, I haven't been able to find any audio from the conference itself. Yeah. If we can, um, we'll try and review it and maybe talk about it next week. We'll see um, what we have next week. But I just think it's worth pointing out. And the reason why I wanted to point the story out quickly, you know, Andy Stanley, he's not backing down from sort of his heretical stances on really all of his, you know, approving of sin. And especially in regards here to the LGBTQ lifestyles. Um, But rather, he's kind of building a coalition and advancing on the false teachings. So, you know, this is sad, it's dangerous, but it's something to be on the lookout for, you know, kind of an increase in discussion, both for this and against it in the next few weeks and months and probably going forward. So um, it's sad, but it's not going away. So again, maybe something to discuss with your kids, especially if they're Getting to their teenage years, social media is on the horizon. We know what a contagion that is for this, you know, perverse lifestyle. So something to consider. Again, we may talk about this if we can find some audio on it. But just wanted to highlight those. Um, The real last story that I wanted to talk about um, is something that's near and dear to our heart. So do you want to read this headline in these first couple paragraphs? Want to reach the world? evangelize the church. Um, Some things never change. Perennial indifference to the things of God, even open hostility, was the experience of the prophets and apostles. It's also our experience today. But a major cause of the hostility is as unchanging as the hostility itself. God's name is blasphemed among the nations because of you. A primary reason for unbelief among the nation is unbelief among God's people. Problems with the world are often found first in the church. This is why the Bible insists that judgment begins at the household of God. Our friends don't see Jesus as a glorious Savior in part because we don't, at least not evidently. Our friends don't revere the name of Christ in part because we don't, at least not sufficiently. Our friends don't stand in awe of a world charged with God's grandeur in part because we show few signs of believing it. Our neighbors aren't experiencing the power of God for salvation in part because we underestimate underestimate the potency of what we possess, the good news of God. Yeah. That's very true. Such a good point. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a point I think that every pastor in this nation needs to hear, and they really need to internalize and not go, yeah, those other churches. No, no, your church. You need to internalize this. Our churches in America need to be re-evangelized over and over again. This is why we said this is the largest harvest field in America. It's those that are showing up to your church every week or month that aren't saved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a real concern and a real issue in America. 
Um, because again, we've mentioned this number many a times here, right? You know, 65% of people claim to be Christian and go to church, but 6% have a biblical worldview. Right. Um, that's a, a huge contrast between people who go into church, all this sort of stuff, but haven't been, you know, washed by the, you know, renewing of the Holy Spirit, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, um, and again, as they point out in this article, much of that is because, you know, we, you know, our friends don't see Jesus as a glorious savior because we don't, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus is a necklace we wear. It's wall art that we hang in our house and these sorts of things. So yeah, I was just doing a, a devotional the other day at um, Protestant Women of the Chapel um, on base here where we're at. Um, and it's a mix of, you know, different Christian. I mean, there's Catholics there too, because there is a Catholic service held there at the chapel. But I was talking on being steadfast and immovable. Um, so I just pretty much spoke on first Corinthians chapter 15, because at the end is when it talks about being steadfast and immovable. Um, and Paul begins his letter by saying, I need to remind you of the gospel. <laughs> so I talked about, um, we always need to be reminded of the gospel. Um, we can't just hear it once and believe and then go on and forget about it. Um, we need to think on it all the time. That's why we praise God. Um, but his main argument was the proof of Jesus being resurrected and all the eyewitnesses and um, how that is our hope because he was resurrected. We have the hope of being resurrected too. And then he said, those who don't, you know, he was just kind of saying like all of our preaching, all of our persecution and trials and being in prison is in vain if there's no resurrection. And he was saying how those who don't believe in the resurrection just kind of live for themselves, you know, eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And how, so I kind of talked about like the way we live, if we live, you know, eat, drink, tomorrow we die. Uh, you only live once kind of lifestyle. That is our faith in whether or not we believe in the resurrection. Are we living our lives as if this life is it and there is no resurrection? There is no hope. So I was really convicted studying this. Um, like I just kind of, I picked a day to do the devotional and whatever day, like that was the the verse I was given to speak on, but I couldn't speak on the verse without speaking on the whole chapter because that's, because it said, therefore, be steadfast and immovable. I'm like, what's the therefore, therefore? <laughs> so I did the whole chapter. Um, yeah, the way we live our life shows what we actually believe. Um, so if we're living in willful sin, but we claim to be followers of Christ, we claim to be Christian, no, our actions prove our faith. Faith without works is dead. You know, we said that before. Um, talk is cheap. Um, I talk, I said to them, I said, um, you know, love is an abstract noun, but um, we've heard it said, love is a verb, it's action. Um, it proves what you do, proves what you believe, proves what you love. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I choked up at the end of my devotional. <laughs> I had quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer 
when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Um, yeah, I, I think that is the message. Are we living like we believe in the resurrection? Because if you don't believe in the resurrection, you don't believe in the gospel. And if you don't believe in the gospel, uh, you're not saved. That's what it comes down to. It's, yeah, um, it does. And again, that's something we don't see by and large in this nation um, is that lifestyle change that would, you would assume, accompany somebody whose heart and mind have been transformed mm -hmm. into seeing eternity. Like, do we know? see the power of God in people's lives? Like, in our study we're doing at church, it's just pretty much on the gospel. Like, don't you want to put the power of God on display? It's to the glory of God's name when when you do when you live righteously and flee from sin that's not your power that's the power of God and our job is to hold fast to Christ our job is to always remember the gospel that's yeah. where it starts that's the foundation and then everything else flows from that um yeah i mean in this article and they kind of you know he talks about that. He says, usually when speaking of the power of the gospel, we speak of its power to convert. But the mm -hmm. gospel isn't merely powerful to save. It's also the power by which we live. Amen. Yep. And, you know, again, like we were saying, this is the great failure we see in America today. Many who profess Christ, but very few who show the evidence of a life transformed by the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Um, because again, it's not just salvation and eternal life. That's some, you know, distance thing that we'll get to. It's actually the transformation of your life. Now, you know, you've entered the kingdom today when you're saved and you will progress through, you know, through all of eternity. Yeah. Like what's your, what's your assurance that you're saved? Is it that I called on God, but then look at your life. Is there evidence in your life? of God's presence, if the whole, of his Holy Spirit actually indwelling you. Um, and this was the whole point of our episode last week that we talked about with Deion Sanders. You know, is your, or, you know, has your life been transformed, like we said, by the washing of the Holy Spirit, that will be evident, right? Not just in the words that you say the Sunday morning when the lights are bright, but indeed, you mm -hmm. know, is your life transformed and isn't evident to people um, in the day-to-day, -day, you know, kind of mundane life, has your life been transformed? Mm -hmm. You know, and this is not what we see when we look at the American church broadly. Um, we see something, you know, they're supposedly saved, but they're not transformed. You know, because again, if we're 70%, 65% Christian, then our nation is not as depraved as it is. It's just, it couldn't happen, mm -hmm. you know. So there must be some disconnect. And the article goes on and says, on a worldview level, those convinced of the gospel's explanatory power move into the world unashamed to proclaim and expand, not contract or an expanded, not contracted vision for life. And they kind of end here saying, evangelizing the world requires re-evangelizing the church and mm -hmm. equipping her for works of service. Mm -hmm. At the core of evangelism, then, is reaching believers that may reach the world. And that's kind of their point mm -hmm. with this article is saying, you know, hey, it's great. All these churches want to go and reach the world for Christ. Why don't you work, reach your church for Christ? Um, because in doing that, 
they will go and take the message of the gospel to the world, you know, but we don't spend the time re-evangelizing our church. And again, you know, we've talked about this, I believe, before, you know, that the mission field of the American church is right. Mm-hmm. People are showing up, right? They're coming to church on a Sunday. They want to know Jesus. They maybe claim to know Jesus, but they don't really, and their life hasn't been transformed, so, but they're there in your church, right? They're there to be transformed. They just haven't been yet. And I think it's because, I mean, so many of our churches, sadly, you know, that seeker sensitive, they preach a watered down gospel that doesn't really transform, but it's an opportunity for pastors to look themselves in the mirror and see what they've been doing and, you know, take this challenge on for themselves to re-evangelize your church, right? It doesn't make any sense to go and send all this money to Ukraine for these charities when you got people that are going to go to hell in your own congregation that are showing up every week, every month, mm-hmm. it seems insane. And, you know, I will just mention that this is probably a cultural problem in America, kind of with our mega church culture, you know, is the fact that pastors don't know their church members, right? You got thousands of people in your church. You have no idea who they are, what their spiritual state is. And you probably don't even have time to be overly concerned with it because now you're running some basically a corporation Mm -hmm. instead of a church, you know, you never meet these people. You never speak to these people. You know, you just get your, you know, probably a Sunday back brief on how many people raise their hand for the Lord. And you're like, hot dog, we're doing a great work for God. Nobody's life has changed. Nothing, you know, has been transformed. They raise their hand on a Sunday, Put it in, in the their, ledger. In their dark church. And we're growing, so we're successful, right? That's the mega church culture. And it's, you know, it's it's tricking probably a lot of people into thinking that, again, they're walking close to the Lord when in fact they're not. Um you, you know, know what's funny is when they do that, that call and they're like, every eye closed, every head bowed, so nobody sees you when you raise your hand. They're presenting the gospel as if you should be embarrassed to raise your hand. Nobody's looking. Don't worry. Don't be shy. Right. I got Why present it that way? Quote, I think it's from John Wycliffe. Um, let me see if I can pull it up really quick. And he talks about, you know, private confession is never mentioned. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Yeah, he says, private convention or private confession was not ordered by Christ and was not used by the apostles. Mm. So this idea that just, you know, it's just you and the Lord. Nobody's watching you. Nobody has to know if you raised your hand. So it's like you keep your saved. faith private the rest of your life and nobody can live the rest of your life and not have to. T- it's like you started that way. Why not finish that way? Keeping it private. Right. And you hear Christians today that say that, you know, your faith is a private matter all those sorts of things. It shows not that true, you're ashamed. Completely not true. So this is a great message. Every pastor should internalize <laughs> this. Um, not just pastors, but Christians should internalize this to re-evangelize yourself with the gospel, first and foremost. Re-evangelize your church with the gospel. Realize that, you know, there may be a lot of unsaved people that are showing up to your church every week looking for something that you either haven't provided or they just haven't found yet. Um, you don't even realize how much your church will grow because you're attracting a certain type of people, but you have no idea how many people are really hungry for the truth. In like you're try- trying to to get people and, and to focus on 
people with a victim mentality to come in. But God will bless your church if you just preach the truth unashamed. The true Christians will come in, like, quit worrying about numbers. Yeah, I mean, your church is not— Quality over quantity. The job of a pastor is not programs and, you know, VBSs and services. And it's about, you know, getting people to know Christ, getting them saved, and then shepherding them in their walk of faith. That's the goal. That's that's why you have to have your own household in order first to be shepherding your family. Like, I don't know, all these, like, all the women, you know, the ones that we, you know, we did a show on them, how they want to— they're leaving their role as mom and just focusing on women's ministry. Like they're doing another, a different job for the Lord. That's their high calling, not raising their children, um, being business women in the church world. It's like the same thing. It's. Yeah. It's a, it's the wrong mindset. So much of the American church is a wrong mindset. And I think this is a good article to read, um, to consider for yourself, for your church. Again, we'll have all these articles linked in the show notes, and we just highly encourage you guys to go give them a read, maybe send it to your pastor, you know. Um, But as we get ready to end here, um, we'll just mention for our recommended listening, I'm kind of going back to our first, you know, big story here on Kevin McCarthy being ousted. I'm just going to include the link to Jason Whitlock's podcast where he sits down with Matt Gates. Um, just for the simple purpose of, you know, don't let the liars in the media and the political class tell you what Matt Gates and these other seven people did and the reason they did it and all this sort of stuff. Go listen to the man for yourself and make up your own mind as to why he did it and if it was valid or not. You know, don't let somebody else tell you what he said. Go and listen to him for yourself. And uh, I think it's good while you're there, maybe go and listen to uh, Jason Whitlock's previous episode. He kind of makes the correlation between Matt Gates and these seven people in Gideon. And uh, really the idea I think is valid. You know, we don't need a majority of people in this nation to actually affect change. Mm-hmm. You know, the LGBTQ plus community has swept the nation and they're like one to 2% of the population at best. And they've somehow taken over every corporation, every media yeah. outlet, so you don't need everybody. It might just take eight, eight bold and courageous people to actually, you know, fearlessly go and demand change. And, you know, we're just looking for leaders. And these may be the ones that we get behind and follow and push to actually bring about some real change. So mm-hmm. go give those a listen. They're good episodes, especially hearing, you know, right from Matt Gates's own mouth, right? Why did he do it? What's his hope? So it was pretty good. But other than that, again, we'll try and look into if we can stomach finding anything from Andy Stanley and listening to it. We'll do our best there. Um, otherwise, we'll just see what the, the world throws at us for next week, and we'll discuss as needed. But uh, that's all we got for you guys. Hope you have a blessed week. <laughs>